Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and this episode is Q&A number 27. As always, any questions that you have that uh, you want answered, send them on michael at scientifictriathlon.com or through the Facebook Messenger widget on scientifictriathlon.com and I'll add them to the queue and uh, answer them on a future Q&A episode that comes out every Thursday. This episode is sponsored by Roka that are the world leaders in wetsuits, trisuits and other triathlon and swim apparel. They started out as a mission to simply make the world's fastest wetsuit and it's a young company that has seen a very fast rise to the top in the triathlon market initially but now also in the for example performance eyewear category which they are also becoming one of the most established and definitely most exciting players in. An example of how quickly Roka has started to dominate and and shown how fast their products are is the swim skin count at Kona at the Ironman World Championships where Roka every year they conduct a swim skin count of all the different brands on the professional athletes and uh, they have been winning for the last three or four years i think it was when uh, when i when we talked about this uh, with the roca team and uh, this is uh, of course most of these years it has been roca's internal count but one year there was uh, an official swim skin count and uh, that also had uh, the exact same same count as roca of course it's not that difficult at the end of the day to count different swim skin brands so uh, yeah uh, roca has uh, been taking charge of that swimskin market in Kona. And uh, similarly, if you go to Ironman events and you start to count wetsuits, it's uh, amazing how many of those great athletes are using Roka as their, uh, as their go-to wetsuit because it is such uh, an amazing brand with, with fantastic and really fast products. You can get 20% off any of their products, including wetsuits, swimskins, trisuits, but also uh, performance eyewear. Go and check them out. They also now have even prescription glasses uh, so uh, use the promo code tts all caps to get 20 percent off on roca.com and big thanks to precision hydration that make electrolytes that you can tailor to your individual electrolyte electrolyte needs uh, precision hydration is also trusted by the top professional in professionals in not just triathlon but in plenty of endurance sports as well as team sports and a wide variety of individual sports and even everyday and work environment uh, health some triathletes that you probably heard of and are very familiar with that use precision hydration as their go-to for electrolytes are for example ben canute michelle dylan stuart hayes and sarah lewis to name just a few and what you can do to find out how you can benefit from precision hydration electrolytes is to take their individual online sweat test they will give you a very good estimate for how much sodium and electrolytes you lose and how you should replace them in training and racing. And then you can use the promo code DATTRAFLONSHOW, all one word, all caps, to get your first box of electrolytes for free on precisionhydration.com. And now for the first question of uh, today's episode, I actually bring on Andy Blow from Precision Hydration as an expert guest to answer this question because it's on cramping, which uh, Andy knows uh, a heck of a lot more about than than I do. So uh, so I felt that I needed to bring on some expert help to, to answer this question, which is from Chris in Victoria, British Columbia in Canada. 
and uh, I'll play the, a clip with Andy and myself and uh, we will read the question and then get into answering it. So let's hear that clip right now. So expert guest for this cramping question here is uh, Andy Blow from Precision Hydration. Uh, welcome, Andy. Can you give a short introduction of yourself for listeners that may not have heard you on the podcast before? Absolutely. Um, yeah, my name's Andy Blow. Um, my company, Precision Hydration, kind of partly was founded because of cramping issues that I had amongst other issues that um, when I was racing long distance triathlons in the heat and um, so although I think you know cramping is a complicated question I've got I have got quite a lot of first-hand experience of it you know getting over my problems as an athlete and now through through precision hydration we work with quite a lot of athletes who approach us who do have cramping issues so we, we're quite you know in, uh, interested in that whole topic yeah yeah and you have a lot of good articles as well so on that so people that want to learn more than what we'll discuss in this question can go to your your website and check that out on the blog for example or the newsletter but but this uh, specific question i guess is uh, i'm going to summarize it because it's it's quite long but uh, this is uh, somebody who is uh, has been training for triathlons and endurance sports for the better part of 20 years training for half ironmans uh, mostly right now in june and september training six days per week and three runs two bikes and uh, at least three swims per week uh, so uh, they're also they also write that their long slow work is truly both long and slow the problem is here that on tuesdays and thursdays they have uh, they have uh, evening workouts that are uh, quality runs, so hill runs, tempo runs, or sprints, followed by a swim session. And they write that almost inevitably, my legs will cramp during the swim, usually in the foot, but occasionally in the hamstring or the quad. And uh, they have tried various strategies uh, to, to help with this problem. And uh, there are some patterns but uh, that for example if they haven't had enough water during the day or if sleep has been lacking then the cramping can be worse they've tried increasing electrolytes and tripling salt intake over the past year uh, and uh, also they're taking an easily digestible glycogen source throughout the workout uh, but uh, yeah the problem persists and uh, so so what what can we uh, help with here andy <laughs> because yeah. i'm i'm lost yeah it's, it, it it is a tricky one and i would say first up you know when when we deal with people who are getting persistent muscle cramps for for a small proportion of them there are often you know, very easy fixes you can suggest one or two things to try and then they try them and the problem goes away um for another for another group of people it becomes more tricky to unpick it and requires a lot a lot more trial and error of different strategies and then sadly there are a group of people that seem to suffer with persistent muscle cramps that that are very very difficult to solve or sometimes almost impossible to solve and and that the 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 bottom line that for why i think that happens is that despite all the competing arguments about there about what causes cramping nobody really nobody really knows yet there's lots of theories and there's lots of overlapping or even conflicting theories, but there's no one kind of universal answer. And so there's definitely not a universal solution to that problem. Um, in, in order to sort of un unpick this one, though, I would say, first off, the getting cramps swimming 
especially following heavier bike or run sessions is a pretty common problem in triathletes i don't know if you've come across that either yourself or with athletes you've worked I, I, with. i've personally experienced that yes yeah i certainly have as well and i used to get and still do occasionally get cramps in my feet especially if i've done a really hard run or a really hard bike session and then jump in the pool and you know when you're pushing off or doing kicking and those kind of things and there seems to be something about that action of going from you know heavy loading and heavy stress and fatigue in the muscles to then i don't know what the what what it is about being either weight supported or changing the angles of force and things in the pool but it definitely seems to be a bit of a recipe for, for making people cramp so i don't think his his issue is in any way unique um so so although um the the person asking the question has said that they've for instance started to to manipulate their electrolyte intake and in in specifically increase their sodium intake and that would always be a, a first portal call for us to say look sometimes for whatever reason the, the the mechanism is not very well understood and disputed but it does seem that if electrolytes um, especially sodium get out of balance or become diluted or depleted then that can affect the way muscles fire and can cause cramping so what we usually recommend in that scenario is something to try is switching out some either no sodium or low sodium drinks immediately in the in either before or during the preceding activity or between the, the preceding activity and the the one that that brings the cramping on is to take a very strong electrolyte drink a very strong sodium based electrolyte drink to see if if, if ingesting that either then reduces the frequency or the severity of cramps or makes them go away altogether so it, it sounds like this sort of this this person's tried that to to no avail or to to limited effect um there are there are other things which we we've had a very interesting recent case with a, a professional triathlete who often gets cramps in the swim um, either swim training or swimming during ironman races and it's not probably not someone who we should talk about by name but they are a, a past world champion over um, long distance and so competing at a very high level but but have yet for years struggled with this sort of in um very unpredictable cramps that that would often happen in in the swim portion either of races or of um, training sessions and we did quite a lot of trial and error when they did quite a lot of trial and error themselves recently and have started to narrow it down to actually um, potassium intake rather than sodium intake which um which is perhaps unusual but um there is a plausible sort of story around why getting potassium balance wrong might influence muscle cramping because although sodium is the main electrolyte in your extracellular fluid and the one that you lose most of when you're sweating and that's the one people focus on potassium is the main intracellular electrolyte so if potassium in your extracellular fluid gets gets higher than than its normal baseline level which can sometimes happen if people take any sports supplements which are quite high in potassium it can create problems um, it can actually in the extremes it create electrical problems like cardiac muscle problems and arrhythmias and but also excitability or fatigue in in skeletal muscles as well and therefore we found with this athlete and they found through their own trial and error that actually reducing 
their day-to-day potassium consumption and certainly around specific training sessions massively reduced the incidences of cramping that they were suffering so, from. so what, were, what were the foods or and and or supplements that they they got potassium through that they they started to cut out um predominantly for this athlete it was a couple of specific sports supplements that they were using which didn't have massively high levels of potassium but because of the fact that they were using a lot of them because of their high energy and and fluid output they were taking what would be considered a reasonably high amount of potassium in you know um on a on days when they were training heavily which was then what precipitated the cramping so for them it was it was reading the packets of of supplements i think if you're eating you know fairly natural whole foods and i'm not a, an expert dietitian in that respect but i think it's relatively hard to to ingest really high amounts of potassium through your normal diet it tends to be more problematic if people are taking supplements with high levels in so so in this case since uh, this listener uh, does take in a an easily digestible glycogen source uh, to phrase verbatim that might be a case to look at the the labeling there and see if there's uh, potassium yeah definitely potassium and, and just looking at just looking at at the diet in general maybe and maybe taking some advice from the from a dietitian to look at the diet in general and say you know is this either particularly low or particularly high in in any electrolytes or potassium specifically because i think an imbalance can occur when it gets too low as well as gets too high so mm. really i think just a general health tech and probably just a general blood blood check you know blood um, some kind of Um, blood profile to look at electrolyte levels in the blood to see if they're running chronically low or high potassium or or sodium levels would be an interesting one to look at yeah um there's there's a lot of other you know when when it comes to muscle cramping there are often sort of mechanic there can be kind of mechanical things and um, neurological things which which cause it when you overstress muscles or put them in positions they're not used to and and stress and stress and load them in ways that they're not, they're not comfortable it's kind of a protective mechanism i'm sure you've uh, most people have experienced kind of a muscle cramp that occurs when you either you know maybe you've got you've got into a particularly in or out of a particularly low seat of a a sports car or something like that where you're you're very cramped up at the hips and your hip flexor might cramp a little bit or something where you're where you're trying to um climb over a high barrier and you're having to really stretch your hamstrings and your legs and you might feel a bit of a cramp when you when you really put the muscle in a funny position and so with with muscle cramps that are caused by those kind of um positional or um or fatigue or sudden fatigue situations we definitely find that the athletes benefit from strength work stretching and sports massage to to basically make make the muscles stronger um you know one case that we dealt with last year was an athlete who'd who was persistently getting um cramping in their in their um, hip in the hip area particularly in the sort of groin area when they raced on it when they rode their their race bike in a in a low position as compared with their their training bike which wasn't quite set up the same and we we eventually narrowed that down to the, the sort of specificity of the training for those muscle groups because they were they were they were sitting lower on their race bike at the front end and also pushing obviously harder because in a race you are often pushing close to your maximum limits and that was causing them to cramp when training at a slightly lower intensity and training on a slightly lower position wasn't really conditioning the muscles quite specifically enough mm. so and- yeah 
I find when when I'm because I I have been getting a lot of cramps in swimming in particular, not so much in the in the other sports, but uh, and I do find that it's related to intensity. Yeah, like the harder the swim is, the the more likely it is that I'll cramp. But the trigger for me, at least, always seems to be the push off. Yeah, and, uh, so it, it always happens in the main set, and when I'm trying to uh, to basically hit my times by pushing off as as well as I possibly can and. And if I actually go a bit easier with the push-offs, then I can I can prevent the cramps usually from from occurring in the fir- first place. But usually I'm more concerned with with actually hitting the times than than preventing cramps yeah. because I don't know that they're going to occur. So so then they happen, and I I hindsight is twenty twenty. But uh, my theory has been like very just not not based on anything other than than my wild guesses is that that is like a big rapid force rate of force development that you're you're producing when you're pushing off it's uh and and that sort of i guess neurological or neuromuscular stress uh i should say that happens in a in a short time that 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 somehow might be related you use a lot of motor units in in your muscles to produce that force that rapidly do you think there's anything to that and uh anything that can be gleaned from from that sort of yeah theory 100 percent. i think for endurance athletes we're not very well conditioned to to recruiting large amounts of muscle fibers for peak force production all at one time and so kicking off pushing off the wall is one of the few occasions when you actually do that Um, a lot of the time you you are like you say you're pushing off really hard you're you're training you're going for a time and that is an occasion when you're going to recruit a really large amount of muscle fibers for a big a big forceful contraction really quickly so we don't tend to train for that so we're taking those muscles outside of that comfort zone and as you say simply by moderating that in your head and pushing off a little bit more lightly you you recruit less muscle fibers less aggressively and then the cramping you know either doesn't happen or doesn't come back so there are kind of behavioral things that you can do the same as if you know if we talk about muscle cramp occurring when running or cycling we all know that you know off quite often simply backing off the pace a little bit either for the for the rest of the session or the rest of the duration of what you're doing or for a short time period allows the muscles to recover a little bit and then the cramping can sometimes just go away so i think muscle recruitment and overstretching the level of muscle recruitment that you're conditioned to regularly dealing with is definitely a precipitating factor whether it kind of is the root cause of the cramp or whether it's just the stimulus that 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 ends up making it manifest there and then is is not clear but it's it's a contributory factor mm. I, I want to read the, the last part of the question here as well uh, so it this question ends with is there something i can do about this is this just my muscles telling me they are done for the day and i should just pack it in is there any situation when when that is the case when when you should just pack it in and uh, can you elaborate on that i think that it, it the answer is it could be not always and and i think you know reading between the lines on this particular case it sounds like it's happening so frequently that unless this this athlete is very very bad at reading other signs of fatigue and and um you know tiredness then it's unlikely if it's happening with this level of frequency that it would just just be down to that and that they should just kind of give in and say, well, if it's, that's going to happen, I should just stop. I think that you know this would be one of those situations where I'd be more inclined to go a bit further around the houses to try more things in order to 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 go for it. If on the other hand it doesn't happen frequently to you, and along with you know general feelings of fatigue and tiredness and 
and anything else you you end up starting to cramp pretty badly in in a session it's definitely a pretty strong signal from the body that something's not right and that therefore you you are probably advised to take note of it so if it, if it, if it's happening regularly and not and you're you're kind of conditioned to the level of training that you're doing but it's still interrupting sessions then i would be more persistent about investigating the root cause of it on the odd occasion if you are particularly fatigued when it happens maybe it's just another sign to back off that day is how i would probably approach yeah, that yeah, that makes, that makes, sense. That makes the, sense the other thing i think to say here michael is we've definitely come across athletes who if they're getting persistent cramping problems it, it can be quite psychologically and well well quite psychologically debilitating because they they and they want to try everything they can to to solve it so they will try manipulating their electrolyte intake they will try stretching and doing strength training and altering the nature of their training sessions or the 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 way they structure their training sessions so for instance for this guy maybe you could try you know if it's if it's feasible maybe you would try swimming instead of running rather than the other way around and see if you know that helps but but one thing that we commonly see with athletes is that they'll try multiple interventions at at a single time so we often get athletes who say i've tried taking extra electrolytes and it hasn't worked and when we drill down into what did you actually do maybe they've tried using a sort of standard sports drink once or twice and it hasn't had a noticeable effect so they've kind of binned that methodology or they've tried doing something while they were doing what they would they've tried sports massage and stretching at the same time as they were they were trying strength training for the first time and they try multiple interventions on top of each other which then makes it very hard from a a scientific point of view to actually evaluate and say right what is the impact or lack of impact that any single one of these things that i'm doing is so i think if people are having cramping problems and they want to try things like electrolyte intake they want to try stretching and strength training and um they want to try sports massage or any of the other interventions that could work it's good to try those interventions in in isolation while you're controlling all the other controlling for all the other variables that might influence it. So, in other words, your training load has to be similar to what it normally is when you're experiencing these problems. Um, you you don't try multiple interventions at one time because you want to isolate. Right, is this one impactful or not? Evaluate it for a period of time. Make sure you're doing it properly, and then evaluate it on its own merits rather than either trying things very quickly and dismissing them or trying numerous things together and not being able to unpick whether they're working with each other against each other which one's most impactful or or not yeah yeah and, and making making sure that that the, 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 the intervention is done right so for example in terms of electrolytes people can go and take your free sweat test on the website to actually see how much sweat but i guess in between workouts it makes sense to take a a strong electrolyte supplement for most about anybody but in in terms of the other interventions for example something that came to mind was if you want to try stretching then uh, some a book that i would recommend or two books actually are jay dishari's books yeah uh, anatomy for runners and running rewired they have some really good self-assessments that people can do to find different limiters in terms of of flexibility mobility that uh, that might help so so you might find actually that uh, that if that something like that might be a big limiter and perhaps that that can be something that 
with stretching potentially could could uh, cause an improvement absolutely and and i think treating you know if there's not a, there's often i've said in a few people there is a quick fix for cramping and sometimes there is sometimes it can be as simple as your electrolyte intake is inadequate or out of balance and by manipulating that the cramps go away and that's great but but i think if you approach the, the issue of cramping with the expectation or even the hope that there will be a quick fix you can be disappointed and it's better to approach it like you would lots of other sort of more difficult and complex problems with the idea that you're going to have to go on a bit of a journey and you're going to have to be persistent and organized in the way that you tackle it in order to actually bottom it out and get and get some progress and get a good results because athletes are often very determined and focused people in certain ways but like every other human on the planet we also love the idea of a quick fix or a quick solution and i think with cramping what we've learned is you have to be uh, inventive persistent organized and um, thorough in the way that you investigate trying to trying to get over it otherwise you'll you'll be easily defeated that sounds a lot like endurance training to me it is. I think it's all the, all the same principles, just refocused into you know, tackling a, a specific problem. But sometimes, yeah. sometimes people say, I hear a lot of the time, oh, if I would be so good in the Ironman if only I didn't get cramps on the run or something. But as if it's something that should just be able to be solved at the click of a finger. You know, yeah. and I often say to them, not not harshly, but I say, well, I would be really good at the Ironman if I could run two thirty five at the end of the run. You know, but, <laughs> yeah, but but it's not that easy to do that. You know, you've <laughs> got to work at it, and you've got to. And so, if cramping is one of your particular crosses to bear or problems to solve, then then attack it with with a, an open, long term problem solving mindset, and and you've got a much bigger chance of success. All right, perfect. I think that that uh, wraps it up for this question. Uh, but uh, since we have you on, is there anything new with precision hydration that uh, that you want to share and uh, that uh, the listeners might be interested in learning about? We've um, we've we've definitely made some some big strides. You know, in the in the last well, it's probably a couple of years since we've been um, initially introduced to you on the show, and um, the. I guess one of the major ones is that we've got a new blog on our website, precisionhydration.com. It's got a lot of our old content on there and it's under the title blog now at the top. It's it's searchable, uh, keyword searchable. So there's a lot of, of good hydration and other performance information on there. And w- in respect to this conversation, we've got a very popular blog on there all about potential causes of cramp, potential solutions. If you go to the blog, it's one of the highlighted ones normally because it's popular. But if you search for cramping on there, then it will pull that up. And, and, and what we'd love people to do as well is go visit the blog and, and search for the, you know, performance related advice, not just specifically in the hydration space because we're building a good resource bank up there that's you know completely free to access and and hopefully will be of use to the the endurance athletic community out there perfect thank you so much for for being the expert guest here and it was uh, it was great to to get your uh, your views on on this question so it's always, always great to chat to you michael thanks for having us on all right hope that you learned a lot and uh, chris i hope that that answered your question and good luck with solving those cramping issues we have time for time for one more short question and this one is from brent who writes hi michael i'm trying to qualify for kona i'm a 60 year old male i've done 20 ironmans and the two konas 
Uh, I'm wondering, is there a certain CTL number for my age to uh, aim to reach uh, to qualify for Kona? And if so, how do I reach that number? Uh, so uh, to clarify for listeners that are not familiar with CTL, that stands for chronic training load. And it's a, a metric that is used in, in Training Peaks and, and other software as well. But uh, uh, most Training Peaks is, I guess, the, the leader here. Uh, so uh, that comes from training stress score, which is another related concept there. And uh, if you can just accumulate training stress score, the more you can have, as the bigger the rolling average of training stress, stress score simply that you can have, have on uh, on a six-week basis. So your six-week rolling average of, of training stress score, that is your chronic training load. Uh, so it, it basically tells you how what your training load has been like over that six week for 42 day period and and that's an indication of your fitness um and yeah it's the concept is um is valid uh, but uh but to answer the question uh brent whether there is a certain number uh, for your age to reach to qualify and how to reach number nope there isn't any single ctl number that you uh, should uh, try to reach or that will guarantee you qualifying or not qualifying or any uh, anything like that it is completely completely I, I don't want to say irrelevant but it's completely individual so you can't apply ctl on a population basis and uh, and correlate that with with performances it just doesn't work like that we have athletes that are very slow that can have CTLs in one of 100 plus, and we can have athletes that are very fast that never train. So their CTL might be zero to to 30 or something like that, something something very low. Uh, so to give an example, uh, for example, Jan Frodeno would beat 95% of us or more, <laughs> even if his CTL was let's say zero to probably even at zero but at least if he could do a little little bit of training and get it to let's say 10 or 15 or something like that uh, he would surely beat 95 percent or more of, of all of us as as listeners uh, even if all of us were we we didn't have to do any work we could just train as professionals and we could get our ctl up to 100 plus uh, but that wouldn't be enough so it's that's an example of an, an extreme example but an example still that shows you that that ctl it tells you very very little about performance it can tell you something about your individual performance for example if you qualified uh, previously and you had a ctl of let's say 90 when you qualified uh, then you can probably guess that uh, again this is this is a very big simplification but let's say that you were in the same age group then theoretically as as you are now uh, which i know you aren't because you're 60 so you're i guess moving up age groups but but to make the example more easy let's say you qualified last year and and you had uh, you had a ctl of 90 then you know that your fitness was good enough at a ctl of 90 that uh, it allowed you to have a performance to qualify so that can tell you that that if you get to that same fitness level and you can translate that into the same sort of performance level, you could have a pretty good chance of qualifying. Uh, on the other hand, if the if two years prior your your CTL was let's say seventy, and you had a performance that was significantly worse and that caused you not to qualify, then you know that well maybe I just didn't train enough because I didn't have a high enough CTL. But again, this is super individual, so you cannot really draw any population level conclusions on that. 
But even for you as an individual, I would definitely encourage you not to put too much stock in, in just in CTL. It is, see it just as one small tool in your toolbox of uh, things that you take as inputs, I guess, for structuring your training, but just one of many tools and definitely not anywhere near the most important one. You could have, even as an individual, not comparing you to anybody else, but comparing you to yourself, you might have a CTL of 120 one year and perform way worse in races than than you did at CTL of 80 uh, for a number of reasons. And uh, these might be that you just had a poor training structure. Maybe you didn't structure your training at all. You just went out and, and rode your bike and ran and swam. Uh, or it might be insufficient recovery, or it might be just too much focus on inputs in terms of training stress that you put in or and put on your body compared to focusing on the actual outputs that you want to have out of training, the all-important training adaptations, which is something that I think a lot of age groupers, self-coach age groupers, forget most of the time. That uh, not not most of the time, sorry, that was uh, that wasn't what I meant to say. But uh, but sometimes uh, that what we're actually after is training adaptations. We're not after the input uh, that uh, of training. We're after the output of training, and of course it can require a lot of input to get a good or a lot of output. Uh, there is definitely a correlation there. But uh, but if you only focus on the input or or get too uh, too single minded in trying to increase the input and and forget about trying to optimize the output then then you're you're really missing the big picture there so so do not chase a ctl number uh, look up articles on coachcox.co.uk instead uh, to find what uh, what times you would typically need to do in any given race to qualify for kona in any given age group and uh, coach cox uh, he was a guest in episode 76 i want to say so i'll link to that as well because that was a really good one about qualifying for Kona he really puts together some amazing pulls together statistics from all the Ironman races and uh, what times are needed to qualify amazing resource if you're looking to qualify for Kona so so go and check that out and look for a time and that is the performance that you need to have it's the output not the input in your goal race and work to get the training adaptations that it takes for you to get to that sort of performance level that is the way that you should be thinking and uh, and the training that you should be doing is should be focused on it will be whatever maximizes your adaptations to the tra- to the training input and therefore leads to that improved performance rather than fo- training that just focuses on reaching a certain input a certain training stress regardless of how that is achieved which is one of the most common mistakes and and problems i see with using tss and ctl that uh, again people just focus on on maximizing that input without thinking about the output the the training adaptations so uh, so that's i guess answers your question uh, but uh, and i know that i'm rambling a little bit but i'll go on a little bit of a rant here about tss training stress score and those tss based metrics like ctl but please remember everybody they are somewhat arbitrary and there is some research as well to suggest that session rpe for example might be just as good at at measuring training load as uh, tss based metrics so I'm definitely not a hater. I think that there are good tools to use, although I do find that, uh, yeah, they become less and less valuable 
uh, the more that you get to know the athletes that you coach and uh and the, and the more that you get to know yourself as an athlete if you are self-coached i think as well there are definitely scenarios in which i use them and i think that they may be useful but the problem is and uh, this is the the big issue here that that if you use them you need to do it with great care and responsibility to not put uh, too big of an emphasis on them and over reliance on them and based on all the questions i get about tss and the tss based metrics uh, a lot of people are not really putting that great care and uh, responsibility in their use of these metrics but really just getting too narrowly focused on hitting certain numbers and, and not really thinking about what they're doing enough uh, so yeah there is i guess a, a big over reliance on these types of metrics and and it causes issues with uh, poorly structured training being one of them and uh, the biggest problem is uh, is that people stop thinking i think with uh, how to structure training so just putting the blinders on and thinking that well if one type of workout gives me 100 tss and this other workout gives me 100 tss it's it's all the same which one i do i I get the same amount of tss anyway so so that's going to be uh yeah it's going to be a the same sort of adaptation to training but no 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 that's absolutely not the case Uh, those two workouts if they are very different they might give very different uh, responses to the training that you do so so focusing too much on tss it leads to that sort of thinking that one workout is equal to another which may be very very far from the truth so probably based on based on this i will make some sort of tss and tss based metrics rebuttal episode in the future again i want to say that i'm not a hater this is not a criticism of the concept or and definitely not of the people that invented the concept but it's a criticism of the way that it is used today by by a, a lot of athletes uh, and this is I guess just a result of a lack of clear information on the great limiters of the metrics, which uh, the inventors are very well aware of, and and most coaches I hope are very well aware of, and and not uh, not not using it as any more than than one tool in in a big toolbox of things to use in in training structure. But for self coach athletes, it seems that this tool sometimes becomes way too dominant, and that's something that I wanted to address here because it. Uh, aligns nicely with this question from from brent so that wraps it up for today keep sending in those questions i really enjoy reading through them i'll link in the episode description to the precision hydration blog that we talked about with andy and andy's previous appearances on the podcast which are episodes 49 and 126 Episode 49 was called Hydration, Sodium and Cramping and episode 126 was Effective Swim Run Training. And I'll also link to the episode with uh, Coach Cox on uh, Kona Qualification. Uh, One more thing, by the way, I talked with Andy after off-air about uh, how things are going and and he mentioned uh, that Precision Hydration are looking for a digital marketing person. So... uh, so if you are somebody that uh, consider working in the endurance industry and you're a good digital marketing person, then I guess uh, just get in touch with Precision Hydration. Uh, you can probably find contact details on their website uh, and uh, or you can contact me and I'll put you in touch with, with Andy. Yeah, but I just wanted to mention this briefly. So if you think that you, you might 
have something to contribute with and uh, you would consider it exciting to work in the endurance sports industry for a company a great company like precision hydration uh, again i really really admire what they do uh, and i'm a big uh, big follower of, of all their work so so it i imagine they would be a great place to work if you're uh, so so if you if you think that you're a good fit then get in touch and, and ask them for for more details because i don't know any more details so uh, so yeah just get in touch directly with precision hydration i think is the the best thing to do so big thanks once again to first of all andy for coming on the podcast and uh, and helping contribute as an expert guest and to precision hydration for being a sponsor of the podcast you can find them on precisionhydration.com, take their free online sweat test to get an individual hydration strategy, and use the promo code DATTRAFLONSHOW, all one word, all caps, to get your first box for free. And big thanks to Roka that you can find on roka.com. Uh, that's where you can find all their range of wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, and high-performance eyewear. And you can get 20% off your entire order with the code TTS. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.